Welcome to Wake Up and Smell the Coffee, brought to you by Global Wake Up. I'm Lizzie Daly and I'm also joined by the fabulous Tom Hurd, also known as the Blowfish. Um, Today we're going to be talking all things marine, but mainly on marine conservation. Why is marine conservation important? What are the main problems and challenges our marine environments face? We're going to be asking the simple and difficult questions and we have a very exciting guest in with us today, Richard Harrington from the Marine Conservation Society. Uh, Both Tom and I know Richard because we're very lucky and proud ambassadors for the Marine Conservation Society. So we'll have the honour of learning more about all their initiatives and future plans over the next year and talking about UK conservation in the marine world. So Tom, let's bring it back to the simple question of why is marine conservation important? Well, I mean, you're... Of course, there are many, 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 many reasons why. Uh, <laughs> it's broad. It's it's very broad. I, the problem always resides with the fact that, and how many times has this said, you know, two-thirds of this Earth's surface is water. If you are conserving planet Earth, you have to conserve the seas. It's, it is how you conserve planet Earth. Um, I've always likened it to the, the way people consider marine conservation when... Um, you know, equally worthy drives such as deforestation, um, you know, obviously climate change affects us all, but certainly deforestation, the, you know, loss of species, things like, you know, the effort gone into looking after pandas, all that kind of stuff. They're very worthy efforts, but it's the equivalent of, you know, worrying about a, a very small match that seems to have set a light in your kitchen while ignoring the fact that the rest of the house is on fire. <laughs> And that's kind of the way I see it with, with marine conservation. We have to address the biggest problem, which, again, is the oceans, you know, and the things going on in the oceans. And certainly the last, I would say the last 12 months have been pretty big for awareness in uh, in the seas. We've got, you know, overfishing keeps coming back to us. Obviously, I've just mentioned global warming. We've said that before. The uh, coral bleaching is it's there and there again and of course you know the the plastic purge continues and more recently as well real you know harking back to the 1970s japan's decided to restart commercial whaling yes can you believe oh it's crazy it's and like it, stepping back in time i know and it rots on the shelf as well they don't they don't even eat it which is a terrible shame do you know it's really interesting actually because as that came out i read a number of um Instagram posts and particularly someone who lives who is from Japan he was talking about how um you know everyone's talking about how shocking it is and and yeah it's kind of like going back in time but actually hunting specific species that aren't necessarily declining in their population isn't always a bad thing and it was interesting just to kind of hear that that was like wow kind of the first initial reaction is arms up this is absolutely awful and in contrast to that in Norway, I was there in November, and someone told me that they're actually thinking of starting to hunt the orca there because their numbers are starting to rise. Mm. So even within this whole plight, if you like, to try and 
conserve these species and manage these areas, there's many layers. It's so complex. And I think that's that's probably because of the environment and how different it is to to on land conservation is that it's it's just so more there's just we know so we know nothing about the ocean compared to the land that's really what I'm what I'm trying to say and it's hard to kind of measure how we conserve it when I don't think we know too much about it the seas have an enormous level of uh, interconnectivity that we haven't addressed we haven't seen and and really joined the dots with the you know if you want to conserve a, a monkey that lives in treetops then guess what it has to live in treetops but taking the orca um you know as you well know you get those resident populations around particular areas but then you also get the transient populations so if you're going to protect it in one country well that orca could swim to somewhere else and certainly with your efforts you've done in kenya with the elephants you know that in one area they're safe but they move somewhere else you know Absolutely. And s- suddenly they're not the oceans is that on a much much bigger scale and yeah o- every part of conservation needs to be thought through it needs to be considered but it also we need to be aware of of the bigger picture. So you know we just mentioned a bit about you know, commercial whaling there, and I mean that's a, a podcast in itself. What a lovely podcast that would be. <laughs> uh, but there are there are new issues uh, rising in the ocean as climate changes, as the world develops, as as needs change, that themselves are yes they are symptoms of the changes in the ocean but they need conservation as well so a big one that i've been very interested in in the way it's been developing has been the concept of deep sea mining hmm. so do you have you seen much about this a little bits i i don't know much i mean about the, it. the bottom line is that the wonderful little bits and pieces in our lives like smartphones and uh you know tablets and all that kind of stuff they need very you know good little wordly doodad i'm a biologist not a computer person all right (laughs) they need wordly doodads and dibbly doos and things what live inside them and they're made up of precious metals things like gold silver nickel that kind of thing as we well know these things aren't exactly lying around in the the streets of bristol or anywhere else and we found them in really rather large quantities in the deep ocean, mm. usually at areas which had hydrothermal vent activity. So uh, this would have been an area that in the past would have been under huge temperatures, pressures, yada, yada, yada. They cause these incredible physiological and um, physical changes, and they get a precipitation of a lot of metals. So companies who want these metals are going down there and mining these areas. But these are areas that we have so little idea how they connect with everything else we know that some are used as essential fish habitat we know that uh, the damage done to them can take tens of thousands of years to to come back Uh, when even that the spoil from the mining is brought to the surface and then panned for gold like you would you know yeah back in the day panning for gold would they get so much silt that comes off and is washed into the surface layers of the ocean that that silt itself then clogs photosynthetic algae in the surface layers so you know the connectivity then on oh we're just going to mine this small patch of of deep sea or what's the problem well you know that might be where cod go to to uh, migrate specifically or feed then the silt's coming up and affected it's just so complicated and that's just one i mean i've i've, I've you know a few you others here yeah you yeah. can list off a few other issues here that we that are there and happening now but you suddenly think it's such a, a can of worms, isn't it? You think, mm. oh, global warming, losing the ice, you know, you know whales, and then you think, well, what about this? What about that? Yeah. It's a big 
topic. It's a big issue. And it's interesting you mentioned deep sea mining because really you see the same effects much closer to our shores. You know, I, I read a lot about dredging here in the UK, uh, little spots that are coming up. And it kind of makes me think, are we really conserving in the long term? And are we really realising what our effect are having on these environments? And that's really why having MPAs and all these protected areas and creating a network of protected spaces is so, so vital. But I've seen the first effects of dredging around the UK. I'm sure you have too. Um, And like you say, marine environments are so complex and you can never underestimate the power of a a large part of seabed which may even have just eelgrass in it. The amount of species that will rely on that one area is absolutely mind-blowing. It comes back to the interconnectivity we were mentioning before that we, I think it's always been a really big, um, a really big kind of hamper to marine conservation in the UK that seems at odds with where we actually are, an island nation, all that kind of jazz. Yeah, there are people in Ashby de la Zouche which is the area in Britain furthest away from the sea, apparently. I've not pronounced it correctly, but I'm not a linguist. Jog on <laughs> what, daily, jog one, on. One more time. Aspidella juice. I think that's how you only say it. <laughs> that's the only way to say it. But we are an island nation. We have a lot of connections to the sea. And people on the coasts, and certainly, I mean, you've just mentioned it yourself there. You, you and I, we spend so much time at sea. We know that it is literally fizzing with life. But it can be really difficult to then try and portray that to people who through no fault their own imagine beautiful crystal clear blue seas and white sand that's oh that's gorgeous that's and you think actually no from a biological point of view this is you know the term is oligotrophic isn't it but technically there's now there that's how a yorkshireman say it and yeah okay while it might be easy to have the poster boys of uh you know corals and white sands and you know being whoa yeah this is fantastic and of course they're important it's so much harder to get someone to give a damn about seaweed. And that's it, isn't it? I mean, it is, though, isn't it? You've got it to totally say, is. you see this slimy bit of stuff here? You've got to love it. Because we've seen time and time again, study after study showing not just the important connections between these underwater ecosystems and associated species, everything from the seahorse to the seal they all in some way benefit but then also we're talking about the carbon sequestration and this is when uh, plants take carbon out of the atmosphere as carbon dioxide and then lock it into their own bodies okay it's really important because it means that we can take carbon dioxide away from the atmosphere so you talk about the potential of carbon uh, sequestration in things like seagrasses and kelp beds and seaweeds it's massive there's there's so many things going on here but it's not picture perfect. It might wrap around your leg and feel a bit slimy. It might be a bit cold to get into. So it's really hard in a way to to get people to love this sea that they're not desperate to jump into, but is actually more potent, more fecund, lovely word, fecund, <laughs> than something you, you would find off Tenerife, for example. You know, you're, you're trying to make people love the elephant man. And and that's that's hard. That's really hard. But that's where you and I come in and say, oh, look at this very likeable, charismatic, cute, dare I say it, oh, sea slug. D- dangerous word. <laughs> but use it as almost like an uh, uh, an emblem for the, for the for the whole area, right? You say, you know, look at this species that's in this area. 
and this is why you should protect it. Protect it. This kind of leads nicely onto the protection generally of large areas mm. because you're completely right. Saying to somebody, you need to protect that area is great, but they're kind of going to go, yeah, all right, kind of get it. Inspiring them is limited. Um, interestingly, actually, well, I was looking this up and defining an MPA... There's so many different... Just for those of you that aren't as hot to trot as Miss Lizzie Daly, uh, an MPA is a marine prote- protected area. Now, when it comes to conservation in the oceans, things can get complicated quickly and you can kind of lose a connection to it. You've got marine protected areas, you've got sites of special interest, you've got these... Uh, God, what's the other one? Special protection areas. Yeah, you see, there blah, you go. Blah, blah. All these different things. And the way to think about them is this, that they are like an underwater peak district or the underwater Pennines or the New Forest or whatever. It's a beautiful, important, amazing area under the sea. And just like if you were going to go to the Peak District and you turned up and you found a ton of old tyres burnt out on a delicious moor or something like that, you'd be really angry. This is exactly the same in the ocean. You may not be able to see it, but that doesn't make it any less vital. Be interesting, actually. We'll we'll chat about this now before Richard comes in because it'd be good to get his take on it. Uh, the concept of, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this as well with your work in Kenya, uh, a paper park or paper protection. Have you heard this? No. This is the idea, ladies and gentlemen, that you can say, right, we're protecting this, right, we're protecting that, and it gets written into paper. But unless you're actually going to go out there and protect it, it has no protection. It is merely paper paper protection. Sorry. So I've been aware of... Uh, there are apps you can get that will follow and websites that will follow fishing vessels. So you can actually physically report them if you know they've entered an MPA, uh, which is very good. And I'm sure certainly in Africa, there must be loads of places that that are classified as protected. But if no one's there, you know, how is is that protection done? How is it enforced? Obviously, we know about people like Sea Shepherd that are very sort of visual and and certainly very social media-wise, very vocal in, in their protection. But we need, you know, people on the ground to do it as well. Because one thing that's always, always, always made me laugh uh, as a marine biologist is uh, it's it's a habit of fishermen. So you talk about SCOMA, uh, my version of SCOMA will be Lundy Island. Oh, great Um, place. It started off with being overfished and then they said, no, we're going to stop doing this. And then they said, well, we're going to do that. And it's gone through all these different changes and morphologies and became the first marine conservation zone. And now I think it's an MPA and all these different things. You know, it's, it's difficult to know where it stands. But the long and the short was when they said, right, no more fishing in this area at all for five years. Absolute not happening. Within that five years, when they went back and sampled it, they noticed that the lobsters were significantly larger, that the fish species there were significantly larger and more numerous. You know, they proved with Lundy, yes, this works. But it is hilarious because if you ever look at a fishing vessel map around Lundy, the fishing vessels are literally skirting. And I mean, skirting. the It's (laughs) so funny. And you see it with fishermen when there's a sign that says, do not fish beyond this line. They are desperate trying to... Like, Throwing their line yeah, over. Because the fish is sitting there going, oh, I'm not going on the other side of that line. I know what's there. <laughs> but that's paper protection, isn't it? Mm. We've put these lines on. We've made these lines. How are they enforced? How is you know, how is a, a bigger corporation going to listen to that? How is a charitable organisation like the Marine Conservation Society going to enforce Absolutely. the paper protection? 
Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think that's probably a really good link to bring in Richard. I'm quite excited to chat to Richard. Maybe he can walk us through. He knows the stuff. He knows He's it. hot to trot. Yeah, and in terms of um, reaching out and getting people like clued up and involved in conservation... The Marine Conservation Society have totally done that. I've seen that firsthand. You've seen it on beach cleans and whatever. The annual Great British Beach Clean in September. Anyone listening that doesn't know about it, go online, have a look and take part because it is such a... Isn't it great fun? It's so Ah, much fun. It's winner, winner, chicken dinner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. There you go. Let's introduce our special guest, Richard Harrington, Head of Communications at Marine Conservation Society, marine biologist by training, important to say, and also very passionate about rocky seashores, but who aren't, Richard? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Hello, hi. Hi, how are you? Uh, Very well, thank you very much. So you heard us chatting away there about marine protected areas. We would like to know what... Who, what, where, how, where are the draw- where are the lines drawn? <laughs> oh God, uh, it, it's it is so complex, like you say, and uh, you know there are so many different acronyms, different names, and that sort of thing. It really gets confusing. And to be honest, I've just seen that uh, I think it's Plymouth uh, looking at introducing something called a marine park. Okay. I just think the whole lot really should be called something like that, something very simple that sounds a little bit understandable by the public because, yeah, it does get quite confusing. But you were talking about paper parks, and I think that's where you know where something gets drawn on paper as something that's meant to be protected, and it just isn't quite. I'm afraid that is the case for a lot of these protected areas that you get in the sea. They're a great idea. There's work going on, so there's positive stuff uh, happening, and there's dialogue going on between groups who use the sea, etc. Um, but it's almost like it's almost this situation of great potential. When's it ever actually going to happen? Yeah, I just also want to touch, I'm going to throw in another one, but it's quite important because it's something that you guys push and I I absolutely supported and it kind of includes all of those in one. It was backing the blue belt. Could you talk a little bit, you know, tell tell the listeners what that was? Yeah, sure. So basically you may have seen in the news, uh, there's been a whole kind of cavalcade of different places around around the world uh, where basically all of these... uh, Countries like ours own islands, effectively, in terms of you know uh, former commonwealths and uh, and that sort of thing, uh, where there's an opportunity really to look after it. Uh, so they're not heavily used at the moment. They're still really rich and diverse. Uh, and the idea is to just get these really genuinely protected so that they can carry on like that. So I think that's the general premise. And creating this big network, essentially. That's right, on a big scale. So you're not talking about tiny little uh, you know tiddly pieces. Uh, it's actually on a big scale. So that is what will help the, the the ocean ecosystem more generally recover to what it could be in places around our shores. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. And, and it receives a lot of traction from the from the public, definitely. Um, for those who may not know who the Marine Conservation Society are, I mean, Marine Conservation Society, they are the leading charity in the UK for marine conservation. But could you sum up what you guys do? here in the UK? Yeah, sure. So for everything, the whole gamut about marine, the marine environment, we're here to really shout up for it, to be the voice for the sea, to really protect it. So whether it's about all of the pollution that gets into our waters, we've campaigned about sewage pollution in the past and we found that you know we can actually make things happen. The situation is so much better. Uh, we used to be the dirty old man of Europe and the UK is so much better. So we really make a difference. So a lot of it is about campaigning and about really making things public, getting the public involved and helping them change things like, uh, you know, the, the kind of seafood that we buy and making sure that that's sustainable, um, not, you know, uh, buying single-use plastic and 
just you know disposing of it and chucking it away and just and carrying on doing it you know in future so it's the whole really wide gamut that is all the threats that the, the ocean faces we're here to stand up for it like no other organization is you mentioned before lizzie um uh, totally procked out hard on the uh, great british beach clean and so taking straight that to Rich, you're, uh, I mean, we obviously know about it, of course we do, and uh, it doesn't need a lot of explanation. But can you talk about the the success of it? Because we, we, we started the podcast talking about how Japan's taking a step backwards with this whale and dolphins, but what about marine conservation in the UK? I mean, we know that the Great British Beach cleans the success. Are we seeing that in other areas as well? Are we moving forward? Are we stuttering? What's happening? Uh, I say we're moving forward in lots of ways. So if, if we could sit with the Great British Beach Clean, so that's gone from strength to strength to strength. So we've had 25 years' worth of surveys. I think I took part in the very first one, if not the year later, in about 1994, when there must have been about 200 people took part around the whole wow. United Kingdom. 15,000 did it last September. 15,000, that is incredible. Also, you picked up in last year alone 568,000 pieces of litter. That's amazing. And the interesting thing is we didn't just pick them up, we wrote it down on a survey sheet. Some people are a bit daunted by this kind of A4 sheet to kind of write everything down on. But the stuff we find, you wouldn't believe how things have changed. Uh, so we are finding fewer plastic bags in amongst all of that rubbish. So it's still many, many tens of thousands of pieces, but we're seeing fewer plastic bags. And you see little trends like it was only uh, sort of 25 years ago when we weren't finding these wet wipes that you get washed up on the beach all of a sudden in the sort of mid 2000s they started appearing and it just became obvious that they're being sold to be flushed down the loo when that's just not the appropriate thing to do uh so you know and so we can target these things so the important thing is we collect the data so all of the wonderful volunteers who do it give us the ability to do something about it and make a change for, for good i wanted to ask last time uh, we recorded a podcast we were talking about plastics and um, I wanted to ask if you've seen the same momentum since the release of Blue Planet 2 and this obviously general incline of people going out and doing beach cleans. Is there still a real push and a, and a result from the public to want to do something in terms of plastic? Yes, there really is a resounding yes. So it's kind of almost multiplying, really. It's like a, a still a growing movement, really. Uh, so it's massively up in on the public agenda. And I think as well as Blue Planet, you know, there is the Sky Ocean Rescue. And I think the other big broadcasters are getting in on the act, as it were. It's a sexy topic at last. And I just remember, you know, 25 years ago trying to talk about marine conservation. And it was a, a very niche topic. People know about it now. It's not a mysterious scientific topic that nobody can get into it's just you know interesting fabulous and we need to do something about the threats that our seabirds our, our, our cetaceans all of the marine environment face one you know one big thing close to to my heart as uh, as a fellow marine biologist and what's always been the elephant in the room when it comes to marine conservation is overfishing now now isn't the time to go into you know total allowable catch and the quotas and discards and all that kind of horror but there's one thing i've always been super super proud of the marine conservation society which is the good fish guide could you just you know tell people a little bit about that because it's a you when we're talking about the beach cleans it's people getting involved so they have a stake in it and i don't think people realize that they can have a stake in in overfishing as well through the good fish guide 
Absolutely, yeah. So I have watched as our team has grown from uh, one person uh, to two or three now who assess every single type of fish that you can buy in the supermarket, on the seafood counter, at the fish and chip shop, uh, in the fish finger count- counter in the supermarket or whatever. Um, that's a, such a lot of work. Um, but they can uh, effectively work out how sustainable the operation is, that how the fish are caught, how they're farmed, etc. Um, and we do various guides, which mean that you can, on a touch of a button, on your phone, a little piece of paper that goes in your pocket, a website, etc., uh, can effectively inform you as the buyer what sort of fit fish you can buy with a clear conscience. Um, and likewise, chefs, the supermarkets who do the buying, and actually, of course, ultimately, the people who do the fishing, we can actually encourage sustainable fishing so that, A, it doesn't harm the environment quite as much as it might do, uh, so that there's more left for us to catch in future. Um, and yes, it's if it, like a, a virtuous cycle, if you like. There's still a lot more to do, but we are seeing throughout uh, northeast Atlantic, where we are perched, uh, that the situa- situations are improving in many places. Can I mention Brexit, or is that just a no-no in this sort of situation? Well, well, we said a- no, no acronyms. Nah. Is Brexit an acronym? <laughs> no, I think I think you that's can. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's totally, totally, totally yeah. viable. It, it would be bad not to. I think. Yeah, I think it's an important part of what's so coming up. We are now going to have an opportunity in the United Kingdom to manage our fisheries hopefully better, even better than they were being managed before. Um, but it's a big challenge because there's so much work was put in. I don't know if you remember, uh, for years and years, we used to have these news items just before Christmas where all the ministers around European countries were effectively bartering for how much fish you could catch and they'd simply say, I want more. And, and the yeah. would yeah, it was horrendous, just weren't being frankly. Kept. It was horrendous. And just in the, the sort of developments that have been going on in Europe, that's improved a lot in recent years. Mm. And that we're just going to move on to a different system. We're going to leave that system and be doing our own setup. We need to make sure that when we have new laws to protect our fish and our fish stocks, that they really do take on board exactly the same sort of sustainable scientific advice to make sure that that works. That's a big challenge. Big challenge. I'm going to do a full 180. You said, you know, talking about overfishing and particularly waste of fish from from bycatch i was reading about the the effects brexit may have on that and whether you know that two-thirds of fish that are caught are actually thrown back in the sea dead so it's kind of like changes like that can be a bit scary but as you say positive plans moving forward do you see generally there's going to be a positive push as brexit looms Let's hope so. There yeah. has to be, really. You know, I think the public will really uh, uh, hammer any government that doesn't live up to what it says it will be. You know, will will be having high environment environmental standards, etc. Uh, so yes, let's be positive. Let's assume yes, it will. But it's going to take a lot of work to make sure it does. And of course, by downloading the uh, the what's it, the Good Fish app, the Good what's Good it Fish called? Guide app, the Good Fish Guide app by by downloading the Good Fish Guide app, then people can have a, a voice with their with their wallet which is so very very important you know you've i don't know about you guys i quite often have my shopping list actually on my smartphone when i go to the the shop you can get a million apps for it so you can tick them off as you go and it's much less faff than having a piece of paper you have your good fish guide right next to it bish bash bosh yep. jobs are good and you can you can fight the good fight in your local supermarket Absolutely. winner winner and it's Amazing. all kept up to date so it's it's all just there uh on your phone yeah promoting the sustainable living it's amazing proofs in the pudding it's happening um so moving forward we've touched on it briefly but what are your main focuses for this next year do you, what are your 2019 initiatives 
Well, I think that's a really big one, is just making sure that the environment in general and the marine environment in particular is looked after in any future sort of governance situation. Uh, but we've got a new uh, aspect to our um, beach clean work. So we're doing a big uh, a cool seas cleanup, we're calling it, with schools coming up in uh, the spring. Uh, so we should have as many as 5,000 school kids out doing the same kind of surveys and contributing to the same kind of... Oh, that's awesome. The kids will love Can that. Can we go? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you consider yourself booked in. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'll be good. That's where it starts, isn't it, with the kids? Yeah, absolutely. And think that children are really getting the idea of the conservation, which is it's a mad, mad kind of thing to say, but I think kids really are getting the idea of it and having fun when they're out there on, on the beaches and stuff. It's a great way of connecting them back to that environment. I've always found that as well. You know, if you ever go and give a talk to school groups and sort of talk to them about you know, what they do and don't drop litter, don't do, don't do this. They already know, frankly. They can tell you this stuff. Uh, they're already better than the grown-ups are, you know. And uh, So I think they'll be a really inspiring bunch to work with to take Great Beach Clean on to a, a next step. I've already mentioned SCOMA and, uh, and the, the dive teams that do a lot with the habitats around that island. And um, there's been a little bit, and it's been shared by the Marine Conservation Society, but there's been a little bit in the news about angel sharks, the critically endangered angel sharks that have been found in Wales, which is amazing. Mm. Um, could you tell me a little bit more about, about how involved you are in the protection of those areas and of angel sharks? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, we're really involved in surveying these protected areas around the coast uh, so finding out what sort of animals live there the habitat types that are there and I suppose mapping damage when it happens to them as well um, and uh, so if you um, were to look in the very same places only about 100 years ago so Victorian times Wales the southwest of England uh, English Channel used to have these uh, angel sharks landed all the time they were they were fish for very easy to catch they just sit on the seabed so when you're using any kind of dredging net you can catch them very easily they're very vulnerable to that um they were landed like bilio and uh, sold as monkfish in exactly the same way that um you know um anglerfish are today um and unsurprisingly their numbers have gone down massively um, and it was thought that they're only really their last stronghold was uh, somewhere around the Canary Islands, where they're still doing pretty well. Um, and but it is pretty well known that the Welsh coast uh, is a potential very productive area for angel shark recovery. Um, and there are some some good things that happen in Welsh waters, uh, where within a certain distance of the coast, you can't dredge specifically and, mm. and catch angel sharks so that might well be contributing to a bit of a comeback let's hope so um and i believe it's the zoological society of london who are doing a study to find out whether they are indeed returning and let's let's hope so yeah i think it's part of the angel shark project bluefish you'll know that yeah i believe that's it's it's yeah it's um zsl that are doing it yeah but i think it's really good there that the the angel shark in a way is a a nice kind of tether of everything because it tethers in the fishing and you know good fish guide and stuff sold as monkfish not sold as angel shark where would you find that out good fish guide very good it <laughs> tethers in the you know the use of the uh the, the land the use of the ocean dredging because of course it lives on the bottom so you know you again you're talking about another use interconnectivity again and then if you've got the proper protection and knowing that the area is right and sea search divers and, and doing the surveys, then you can provide these wonderful habitats. So you've got a, you know, a critically endangered shark coming back from the brink, linking everything up nicely. Richard, thank you so much for coming in. Anyone listening, um, where would you point them to if they wanted to learn more about the MCS? Head towards our website 
mcsuk.org. Straightforward. Perfect, and get involved that way. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you, Liddy. It's so good to hear, actually, some success stories um, from Richard there and to actually see the positive effects of charities like the Marine Conservation Society. And what's interesting, actually, is not just the change in public attitude and being more positive towards marine conservation, but actually thousands of volunteers and members of the public are getting involved. They're building surveys, they're gathering data which is giving us vital information to monitor the health of our ecosystems and our marine environments, as well as monitor our plastic effects and, and all the rest of it. Really positive to, to hear about. Do you have any specific stories that, you, that you've heard of that stood out for you? Well, I mean, a lot of good ones have been reported, which is great. It's, you know, you know as well as I do, Lizzie, that, you know, in this business, you often seem to be constantly bringing the bad news. But there is some good news out there. The uh, World Wildlife Trust has reported that little turns are on the increase. We've had uh, short-snouted seahorses. Sorry, oh, say that three lovely. times fast. <laughs> we've, had, we've had them on the increase. And I think, I think it's beautiful that, you know, we're talking about the angel shark as well. It does mean that we are getting things right. And we've mentioned Sea Search. Sea Search out there for you scuba divers, uh, you recreational scuba divers. You basically, when you're on your dive, you just report back what you found because, you know, the ocean's an awfully big place. But if we know what's there, we can protect it. We can make a difference. And the, the facts are out there. When you put in the effort, when you put in the time and really give life a chance she will come back going great guns. Thriving, absolutely. And also, it really hammers home this message of why is it so important to protect an area, you know, not just a species, not just focusing on one thing. Why should you protect an area? Why shouldn't you dredge? Why should you be thinking about the bigger picture, which is very hard to get your head around sometimes. But positive stories like that always help. Um, An interesting one I'm going to throw in the mix is um, I was also reading about the positive side of reported strandings. Now, you think of strandings not necessarily as a good thing, and a lot of the time they aren't. But actually building more reports of strandings around the UK, and we've had an influx of reports coming in, they're actually able to gain more information about the state of our oceans and those species within it. Um, I've seen numerous strandings around the UK. I saw a minke whale not not long ago on the Cornish coast. And, and it's it almost creates, using social media, this hub of activity where the public can get involved in in citizen science that links with the conservation organizations and we're really getting an understanding here in the uk of of how our oceans are working and how we can go on and protect them it's a classic example of if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around does it make a noise absolutely we we are learning so much more we're so much more aware and alert to the changes in our environment certainly the changes in the ocean both positive and negative, that, hell, we can do something about it. You know, we can finally pull those irons out of the fire. So just we need more of this upward movement. And if you're sitting out there right now listening and thinking, I like a bit of this upward movement, it's always been my favourite direction, then certainly get yourselves to the Marine Conservation Society website. There's lots of awesome stuff there. There are, of course, lots of really, really good charities too that are organising beach cleans and other such events. And guess what? If you find that there isn't a beach clean near you, then why don't you organise it? Why don't you be the person to say, I've had enough of this and I'm going to do something about it because we've shown that when we do put our heads together, we can make a good difference. 
Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Lizzie Daly and a fantastic blowfish Tom Hood um, here on Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. And we'll see you next time on Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. <laughs> Cheers, Lizzie. Thanks very much. Good <laughs> Um, but they can uh, effectively work out how sustainable the operation is, that how the fish are caught, how they're farmed, etc. Um, and we do various guides, which mean that you can, on a touch of a button on your phone, a little piece of paper that goes in your pocket, a website, etc., uh, can effectively inform you as the buyer what sort of fish you can buy with a clear conscience. Um, and likewise, chefs, the supermarkets who do the buying, and actually, of course, ultimately, the people who do the fishing, we can actually encourage sustainable fishing so that, A, it doesn't harm the environment quite as much as it might do, uh, so that there's more left for us to catch in future. Um, and, yes, it's if it, like a, a virtuous cycle, if you like. There's still a lot more to do, but we are seeing throughout uh, northeast Atlantic, where we are perched, uh, that the situa- situations are improving in many places. Can I mention Brexit, or is that just a no-no in this sort of situation? Well, but we said a- no, no acronyms. Yeah. Is Brexit an acronym? <laughs> no, I think I think you that's can. Uh, yeah, yeah it's totally, totally yeah. viable. It, it would be bad not to. I think. Yeah, of course. I think it's an important part of what's so coming up. We are now going to have an opportunity in the United Kingdom to manage our fisheries, hopefully better, even better than they were being managed before. Um, but it's a big challenge because there's so much work was put in. I don't know if you remember, uh, for years and years, we used to have these news items just for Christmas where all the ministers around European countries were effectively bartering for how much fish you could catch and they'd simply say, I want more. And, and the yeah. would, scientific yeah, it levels just weren't being kept. It was horrendous. And just in the, the sort of developments that have been going on in Europe, that's improved a lot in recent years. Mm. And that we're just going to move on to a different system. We're going to leave that system and be doing our own setup. We need to make sure that when we have new laws to protect our fish and our fish stocks, that they really do take on board exactly the same sort of sustainable scientific advice to make sure that that works. That's a big challenge. Big challenge. I'm going to do a full 180. You said, you know, talking about overfishing and particularly waste of fish from from bycatch i was reading about the the effects brexit may have on that and whether you know the two-thirds of fish that are caught are actually thrown back in the sea dead so it's kind of like changes like that can be a bit scary but as you say positive plans moving forward do you see generally a, there's going to be a positive push as brexit looms Let's hope so. There yeah. has to be, really. You know, I think the public will really uh, uh, hammer any government that doesn't live up to what it says it will be. You know, will will be having high environment environmental standards, etc. Uh, so yes, let's be positive. Let's assume yes, it will. But it's going to take a lot of work to make sure it does. And of course, by downloading the uh, the what's it, the Good Fish app, the Good, what's good it Fish called? Guide app, the Good Fish Guide app by by downloading the Good Fish Guide app, then people can have a, a voice with their with their wallet which is so very very important you know you've i don't know about you guys i quite often have my shopping list actually on my smartphone when i go to the the shop you can get a million apps for it so you can tick them off as you go and it's much less faff than having a piece of paper you have your good fish guide right next to it bish bash bosh yep. jobs are good and you can you can fight the good fight in your local supermarket Absolutely. winner winner and it's Amazing. all kept up to date so it's it's all just there uh on your phone yeah promoting the sustainable living it's amazing proofs in the pudding it's happening um so moving forward we've touched on it briefly but what are your main focuses for this next year do you, what are your 2019 initiatives 
I think that's a really big one is just making sure that the environment in general and the marine environment in particular is looked after in any future sort of governance situation. Uh, but we've got a new uh, aspect to our um, beach clean work. So we're doing a big uh, a cool seas cleanup, we're calling it, with schools coming up in uh, the spring. Uh, so we should have as many as 5,000 school kids out doing the same kind of surveys and contributing to the same kind of... Oh, that's awesome. The kids will love Can that. Can we go? <laughs> Oh, you consider yourself booked in. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'll be good. That's where it starts, isn't it, with the kids? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that children are really getting the idea of the conservation, which is it's a mad, mad kind of thing to say, but I think kids really are getting the idea of it and having fun when they're out there on, on the beaches and stuff. It's a great way of connecting them back to that environment. I've always found that as well. You know, if you ever go and give a talk to school groups and sort of talk to them about you know what they do and don't drop litter don't do don't do this they already know frankly they can tell you this stuff uh, they're already better than the grown-ups are you know and uh, so i think they'll be a really inspiring bunch to work with to take great speech lean onto a, a next step i've already mentioned scoma and uh and the the dive teams that do a lot with the habitats around that island and um there's been a little bit and it's been shared by the marine conservation society but there's been a little bit in the news about angel sharks the critically endangered angel sharks that have been found in wales which is amazing mm. um could you tell me a little bit more about about how involved you are in the protection of those areas and of angel sharks yeah yeah sure so uh we're really involved in surveying these protected areas around the coast uh, so finding out what sort of animals live there the habitat types that are there and I suppose mapping damage when it happens to them as well um, and uh, so if you um, were to look in the very same places only about 100 years ago so Victorian times Wales the southwest of England uh, English Channel used to have these uh, angel sharks landed all the time they were they were fish for very easy to catch they just sit on the seabed so when you're using any kind of dredging net you can catch them very easily they're very vulnerable to that um they were landed like bilio and uh, sold as monkfish in exactly the same way that um you know um anglerfish are today um and unsurprisingly their numbers have gone down massively um, and it was thought that they're only really their last stronghold was uh, somewhere around the Canary Islands where they're still doing pretty well. Um, and But it is pretty well known that the Welsh coast uh, is a potential very productive area for angel shark recovery. Um, and there are some, some good things that happen in Welsh waters uh, where within a certain distance of the coast you can't dredge specifically and, mm. and catch angel shark so that might well be contributing to a bit of a comeback let's hope so um and i believe it's the zoological society of london who are doing a study to find out whether they are indeed returning and let's let's hope so yeah i think it's part of the angel shark project blowfish you'll know that yeah i believe that's it's it's yeah it's um zsl that are doing it yeah but i think it's really good there that the the angel shark in a way is a a nice kind of tether of everything because it tethers in the fishing and you know good fish guide and stuff sold as monkfish not sold as angel shark where would you find that out good fish guide very good it <laughs> tethers in the you know the use of the uh the, the land the use of the ocean dredging because of course it lives on the bottom so you know you again you're talking about another use interconnectivity again and then if you've got the proper protection and knowing that the area is right and sea search divers and, and doing the surveys, then you can provide these wonderful habitats. So there you go, the, the, you know, a critically endangered shark coming back from the brink, linking everything up nicely. Richard, thank you so much for coming in. Anyone listening, um, where would you point them to if they wanted to learn more about the MCS? Head towards our website, mcsuk.org 
straightforward. Perfect. And get involved that way. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you, Lizzie. It's so good to hear, actually, some success stories um, from Richard there and to actually see the positive effects of charities like the Marine Conservation Society. And what's interesting, actually, is not just the change in public attitude and being more positive towards marine conservation, but actually thousands of volunteers and members of the public are getting involved. They're building surveys, they're gathering data which is giving us vital information to monitor the health of our ecosystems and our marine environments, as well as monitor our plastic effects and and all the rest of it. Really positive to to hear about. Do you have any specific stories that that you've heard of that stood out for you? Well, I mean, a lot of good ones have been reported, which is great. It's, you know, you know as well as I do, Lizzie, that, you know, in this business, you often seem to be constantly bringing the bad news. But there is some good news out there. The uh, World Wildlife Trust has reported that little turns are on the increase. We've had uh, short-snouted seahorses. Sorry, oh, say that three lovely. times fast. <laughs> we've, had, we've had them on the increase. And I think, I think it's beautiful that, you know, we're talking about the angel shark as well. It does mean that we are getting things right. And we've mentioned Sea Search. Sea Search out there for you scuba divers, uh, you recreational scuba divers. You basically, when you're on your dive, you just report back what you've found because, you know, the ocean's an awfully big place. But if we know what's there, we can protect it. We can make a difference. And the, the facts are out there. When you put in the effort, when you put in the time and really give life a chance she will come back going great guns. Thriving, absolutely. And also, it really hammers home this message of why is it so important to protect an area, you know, not just a species, not just focusing on one thing. Why should you protect an area? Why shouldn't you dredge? Why should you be thinking about the bigger picture, which is very hard to get your head around sometimes. But positive stories like that always help. Um, An interesting one I'm going to throw in the mix is um, I was also reading about the positive side of reported strandings. Now, you think of strandings not necessarily as a good thing, and a lot of the time they aren't. But actually building more reports of strandings around the UK, and we've had an influx of reports coming in, they're actually able to gain more information about the state of our oceans and those species within it. Um, I've seen numerous strandings around the UK. I saw a minke whale not not long ago on the Cornish coast. And, and it's it almost creates, using social media, this hub of activity where the public can get involved in in citizen science that links with the conservation organizations and we're really getting an understanding here in the uk of of how our oceans are working and how we can go on and protect them it's a classic example of if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around does it make a noise absolutely we we are learning so much more we're so much more aware and alert to the changes in our environment certainly the changes in the ocean both positive and negative that hell we can do something about it you know we can finally pull those irons out of the fire so just we need more of this upward movement and if you're sitting out there right now listening and thinking i like a bit of this upward movement it's always been my favorite direction then certainly get yourselves to the marine conservation society website there's lots of awesome stuff there there are of course lots of really really good charities too that are organizing beach cleans and other such events and guess what if you find that there isn't a beach clean near you then why don't you organise it? Why don't you be the person to say, I've had enough of this and I'm going to do something about it? Because we've shown that when we do put our heads together, we can make a good difference. 
Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Lizzie Daly and a fantastic blowfish Tom Hood um, here on Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. And we'll see you next time on Wake Up and Smell the Coffee. <laughs> Cheers, Lizzie. Thanks very much. Giddo. It's good for everyone.